Hello and welcome to the 1909, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at some of the state news's biggest stories while bringing in new perspectives from the reporters who wrote them. This week, we'll be discussing our most recent centerpiece about student struggles with mental health during the COVID-19 pandemic, Operation Gridlock that was meant to protest the extended stay-at-home order, and results from the ASMSU elections. Thanks for joining us. All right, I am here with Emily Bavard. Thank you for being on today. Thank you for having me. So you wrote our most recent centerpiece, and it was about student mental health during the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you talk a little bit about how you initially came up with this idea for your centerpiece? Yeah, so um, Mila, our managing editor, kind of sent me the idea that they were working on. Um, A lot of it probably had to do with my last centerpiece I did, didn't end up on the cover, so kind of just a way to help with that. And I've done stories in the past on mental health and like different resources with that. So it kind of fit. And it's something that I think is super important to talk about. And I was really excited to write about it and talk to people. Yeah. So um, how did you go about, you know, finding sources for this story, like students to talk to? Um, yeah, I, I posted in the um, a couple of Facebook groups, the class page, and then I posted in a mental health awareness club group and I was really surprised that as many people responded to me as they did. I was kind of afraid that like it was something that a lot of people wouldn't be as willing to just talk to a stranger about for a story, but I got a lot of responses surprisingly. So I was happily happy that people were willing to talk about things and yeah. Yeah. So what did some of the students you talked to say about, you know, some of their struggles with mental health during this? Yeah, I feel like I got a really wide range of perspectives, I think, talking to people. Um, I talked to someone who said that it positively impacted her mental health, and she talked a lot about that, whereas like when she's at school, she said she's kind of stressing more about just kind of having to do everything and worrying about materialistic values and not really having anything to do and being more separated from her family and kind of fighting with them, just being away, I guess. And she said how, like, now that she's home, She's getting along with them more, just being forced to spend more time and like not having to worry about doing things and like having autonomy over her own life is really refreshing and helpful for her. But then also there's people I talked to who were saying that it's they're really struggling with this because either they are out of a job and are still having to worry about rent, even though they're not on campus anymore, or they just kind of being isolated from people and like the anxiety with that and not knowing when this is going to end, it sucks. Um, I talked to a girl who said that she lost her grandpa during this and she's immunodeficient or efficient herself. Um, so it's kind of scary all around and having to deal with that in more of an isolated situation. So there's a, a wide range of perspectives where everyone kind of was in the same boat, but everyone had different outlooks on it, I guess. Yeah, and you also talked to the CAPS director at MSU. Can you talk a little bit about what he had to say about all of this? Yeah, he talked a lot about like how understanding he was of the student perspective because 
a lot of people, he said, like, a lot of them are grieving, like, losing the end of the year and, like, seniors who are graduating, not having the ability to have that, like, final moment that they wait all four years to have. Even if it's postponed, it's not coming when they thought it would. So he's kind of talked a lot about how that, he understands how affected people could be from that. Um, And then he kind of went into a lot about how it's important for people to stay connected with other people. Um, He's still in East Lansing, and he said, like, walking around campus, there's, like, tons of fresh air and, like, people who wouldn't be within feet of anybody. And so he was, like, kind of giving advice that, like, being able to still go out and experience some, like, normality and, like, things like that is probably super useful. And then he, because he's the director of CAPS, he definitely talked a lot about the different resources that they have there. Um, They're remote now since middle end of March. Um, And he said they're still offering online counseling to anybody with like a hotline that runs 24 seven that anyone who needs to can call and talk to someone over the phone. Or if they like feel like they need it, they could set up a zoom based counseling session potentially. Um, And if they want to talk to somebody else, like another like psychologist or like therapist closer to their region, they can also hook them up with, um, somewhere connecting them with a counselor closer to where they are in the country. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to say about your centerpiece? Um, anything interesting that you came across? Um, just that I think it's something super important to like talk about because kind of like everyone said, we're all going through something together right now. Um, even though everyone kind of has different things happening. But, like, all of us are afraid of, like, like people like with financial struggles or, like, isolation, anxiety, and, like, all the stuff just kind of jumbling together and, like, being afraid of getting it or people you may know getting it. Like, no one's really alone in this right now, so I think it's important to talk about these things and know that you're not alone and that everyone's kind of in the same page, but it'll get better, and eventually this will be over well thank you so much for talking about your centerpiece yeah thank you for having me i am here with matt schmucker how are you doing good how are you pretty good so you made your way out to the capitol on wednesday to cover the operation gridlock protest how how was that yep was a weird experience. Um, I've I've covered a lot of protests in my time at uh, at MSU at the State News covering things, and I mean this was weird for like a number of reasons. I guess um, I mean the first one being the obvious, um, like the this is the first protest I've covered where nobody was supposed to be outside and close to each other and COVID-19 made this a really weird thing to try and cover because uh, despite the fact that nobody is supposed to be out or within six feet of each other, people are out and within six feet of each other. So then I'm put in a weird place of how do I cover this and depict this without putting myself more in harm's way. So it it was a it was a weird experience to try and shoot and a and a weird protest in in general where most of the people attending 
we're in their cars and like a mile back. So it, it was difficult to try and show scale and what was happening and like the two different, I guess I should explain there were, um, there were people out on foot, uh, and the Capitol lawn and on the steps of the Capitol and on Michigan Ave going straight back from the Capitol, there were cars backed up for probably about a mile past Sparrow hospital. So it, there, there were these like two aspects of this protest and trying to show what was happening and the scale of what was happening was really hard to do. Yeah. From the photos, it looked like a lot of people were there. Um, so it kind of seemed like people also were getting out of their cars, like you said. So I guess as a photojournalist, like how was it trying to keep your distance and still get good photographs to like show the audience like what this protest was and what it looked like. Yeah. Um, it, as a photojournalist, I, I, I think a thing I've been taught, maybe I just heard it somewhere and pretended somebody meant to teach it to me, but, um, the best zoom that you have is with your feet, not with your lens. So typically you want to get close to people and, and, take your photos close to people so that you can see more of them in your photo. It, it was a lot of uh, making sure that I had a long enough lens on my camera so that I could still see detail, but then not having too tight of a zoom where you couldn't see the scale of anything else that was happening. Where like in my gallery, I have several photos that are just singles of one person, but you can't see a lot of the background or a lot of what else is happening. So I had to be sure to also show that background in other photos. Yeah. Did you, did you like talk to people, interact with people? Um, I very minimally did aside from just like pleasantries, small talk, just like that kind of situation. Um, I was I had my like cloth mask on that my mom made for me. She's so sweet. But um, there were a lot of other people with masks on too. So conversation doesn't work quite as well in like a crowd with a lot of noise. The other thing I should mention about this protest, um, because everybody was in their cars and just parked, um, 90% of the time, I actually no, 100% of the time I was there, the car horns People just honk their car horns constantly. So you couldn't hear a lot of people <laughs> and you couldn't read lips real well because a lot of people were wearing masks. So I did not do any interviewing <laughs> while I was there. Um, I felt like just for my safety, I didn't want to take off my mask and get somebody's attention because typically how I would get somebody's attention is I would talk to them or like tap them on the back or something so that they know I'm there and I want to interview them. But obviously I don't want to do any of that in the middle of the pandemic. You know, these, these are strange times. What made you want to just go out and cover this? Like, were you kind of reluctant to do it at first? I mean, I, I felt like the, the scale of what this, was going to be, I felt like I needed to go out so that that was 
shown and not only just the scale of what this was, but also what this actually was. Because the other thing that I haven't really mentioned a ton about this protest is that while like in theory, this was a protest of the stay at home order in practice, it felt a lot more like a second amendment Trump rally. Um, there, it's a protest. So everybody has their signs and I'm going to be honest. I saw a lot more Trump 2020 signs, Trump keep America great signs than I saw anything. I'm granted there were, it's not that there weren't any signs that were like, let me buy food from the garden section or let me grow my own food or let me go back to work. Those signs were there, but they were like a 50-50 or a 60-40 mix with just a Trump rally amount of signs. <laughs> and because of what that was, I basically I wanted to show what this was and what scale this was. So because the the way that I think it could have been represented was a and I think I saw a couple of these headlines where I think if a journalist wasn't there and on the ground in the in the field, I think they could have written the headline, thousands go out to protest stay at home order. I'm not confident that that really accurately shows all of what this gathering was. It wasn't just a protest of, of the stay at home order. That that was there, but there was also a lot of Second Amendment and a lot of Trump 2020 happening at this at this rally. Yeah, is there anything else you wanted to say about your experience in covering this or what the environment was like or anything like that? Um, I mean, just as a photojournalist, I was happy to be able to go out and cover something again because I haven't been able to do that for the last month because nobody's been outside. So I walked more that day than I had probably in the entire month prior combined. Well, thank you so much for being on and talking about this experience. Yeah, thanks for having me. I am now here with Wendy Guzman. How are you, Wendy? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. So you have had quite a busy week um, this past week with ASMSU election stuff. Um, can you kind of talk about what happened this week with elections? After the student body elected their general assembly, they the general assembly then had to vote on next year's office of the president. So um, this was going to be a very interesting election. I knew it from the beginning because there's two people running for president and past three years I think it's been only one candidate they've been an opposed in that big of a situation this year there's two and one of the candidates was from the GA which usually again the person that runs for president was on the office of the president already so very interesting election coming out of it um I expected it to be longer I knew that in the past they've gone until like one two in the morning but they went the just solely the president election took until four in the morning that first night of elections which is insane starting at seven so that was nine hours just to elect that and then um vp of academic affairs was unopposed so 
they just did that right away. But yeah, so, and then our newly elected office of president would be a B2B uh, president, uh, VP for finance and operations, Jordan Polk, VP for academic affairs, was reelected, um, Brie Aiello. Then VP for governmental affairs, reelected Mesa Sitar. Um, VP for internal administration, reelected Nora Teagan. And VP for student allocations, Dylan Catalano, who had ran for president, but um, Abita won, but he still ran for student allocations and ended up winning that. So that was good. Um, yeah, it was 18 total hours of election time. Wow. How how was it for you reporting on something that took such a long time and was kind of in a strange environment since you weren't in person? It was via Zoom. I guess knowing that they both lasted until about four in the morning and I was in the comfort of my own home, like the second that everything was announced, especially that first night, I shut my computer off immediately and hopped into bed. But if it had been in person, that would have been really bad. Um, I'm a freshman. I don't have a car. My only transportation is um, the bus. The buses don't run until, like, they stop at 2 a.m. So I don't even know how I would have gone home. I would have had to either, like, probably get an Uber or I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's probably what I would have to do unless someone offered me a ride. But I probably wouldn't have taken it. Um, So I guess in that sense, it was better that it was in this environment. Also, it was it was kind of nice, I guess, that when they did go out into breakout sessions, which was um, sort of closed session, uh, they the first night especially, they were very, very long. They were in closed session for, I think, the longest, maybe like two hours or something like that, maybe more. And so then off to the side, like we had our own little Zoom call where we were discussing and talking. So I kind of got my mind, mind off things that I know had I been there in person, I would have just been outside of the room just bored out of my mind for like three hours just doing nothing just in the middle of the international center just waiting impatiently for whatever was happening so I guess in that sense it was pretty good but um yeah having to I had to have the call open at all times because there was no way of them telling the public that they were back on so I had to I had the thing open on my laptop the whole time and up at highest volume so then if someone if they came back on I would hear it right away and know that they were on so um, I guess I took it upon myself to, to live tweet because I thought that would be the more efficient, most efficient way of getting the information out as quick as possible, which it was. How was it in terms of the general public watching this? Do you know how many people were in the general public and, you know, how they were able to participate or communicate? Yeah, I have actually no idea how many people actually watched the election. I'm assuming there were much more towards the beginning. And then as the night started weeding out, they probably were like, uh, yeah, no. Um, we, the f- I know that at least to an extent, there was a lot of public comments, public concern, I guess. There was, I mean, a lot of them were people that were in ASMSU in some way or form aside from the General Assembly, but there was a lot of outside comments. I think that first night there was 89, so we spent two hours reading just the public comments. So that, again, is a reason why the election ended up waiting so long um, until, you know, getting the results. But um, I don't know. I really don't know. I think maybe not a crazy amount. I know my articles, at least like the Abito one, when she won, did decently well because it was shared amongst so many people because it's like the big news, I guess. But 
I don't know who of those people were the ones that cared enough to be watching it as it was going on prior to the piece being published. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, in terms of these results, like what um, this new ASMSU president like talked about or what she like has to offer to the student body? Um, Yeah. So one thing I guess I could note right now is the um, so in this office of the president, four, I think, four out of the six are reelected. So they're they're from the last one. So there's a lot of experience in the group. And also five out of six of them are girls. So that's also pretty interesting because it's a lot of girl power this year. Um, from Abita, I guess an interesting, I guess one of her like takes was that she's a GA member. She was a member of the GA, and it's not very common for a member of the GA to run for president. And she actually ended up winning, so that's even more interesting. So a lot of what her focus was, she knew she has that experience in the General Assembly and knows what the General Assembly members need. So she really wanted to focus on giving them power. A lot of them feel very inferior amongst like the staff and the Office of the President. So I think she really wants to make it um, known that they are useful and they need, and they like should get the assistance that they need to be able to create legislation and, um, you know, actually use their voice and do good things in the next year. Um, I guess another thing she definitely spoke about like increasing transparency, which has been an issue and, um, and, um, mental health. And then just with the whole of the COVID-19 going on, I know she, I guess for both of the candidates as well, like we, there's a possibility that the fall semester could be online as well. So um, they really have to be new motives taken into the way that the organizations kind of run during that first semester, if it were to be online. So it's going to be very interesting to see what she does and how she decides to run things and the type of, you know, things that she could get done at MSU for students. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to say about reporting on the elections? I guess there maybe would have been is like a bit of complaining in terms of like they lasted until 4 a.m. It was 18 hours. I was incredibly tired. It was it was just yeah, it was a lot. Never did I expect it to last that long. I was anticipating a long night, but that was just like twice as long as I could imagine. Like, it's crazy to think that 12, like midnight was our halfway point that day. Like, that's crazy. But um, overall, I, I had fun. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, it was a fun experience. It was fun to be live tweeting. And I gained a lot of followers over the course of the two days for some reason, which I thought was funny. Um, But yeah, it wasn't like I would I do it again no but I'm not complaining about having done it it wasn't as bad as I feel like it definitely seems like it was at least for me I don't know how bad it was for other people especially like the like Mario for example who chaired it the whole time so he was actually like I had my breaks during the the closed session they got no breaks so that definitely probably would have sucked a lot more than my situation well thanks for talking about all this Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me again. Thanks again for joining us this week on The 1909, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at some of the state news' biggest stories while bringing in new perspectives from the reporters who wrote them. You can find more of our content on statenews.com or by following us on Twitter at The S News 
or on Instagram at State News. We'll be back next week to unpack even more stories. 